Yeah, come on, give him praise. He's worthy of our praise. Yes, amen. All right, we got a great, great lesson tonight. A great lesson tonight. We're, we're going we're gonna to add a few things to it tonight, so I need you to really pay close attention. So we're going to start out with a song. We're going to start out with a song. And, and so I, I believe if I remember right, if I did it right, I, I believe the words are going to be showing on the screen while the song. So while you're listening, I want you to read the words or, or pay close attention to the words. And then we're going to hear a testimony a testimony of the one who wrote the song and why the song is written. And then we're going to go right into the lesson because it, it, it pertains uh, to what we are going to study uh, tonight, all right? Uh, how many of you have ever seen a tragedy or ever seen a situation where someone is born with a really, really bad malformity or, or deformity or, or something of that nature? And, and the first thing that pops in your mind, maybe not yours, but it has mine before, is the question... Why? How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? You know, it's, anyway, that's tonight. We're going to answer the question why. We're going to answer the question why. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. And uh, uh, so, so let's get to it. Well, I feel it already. Woo. All right, let's pray. Let's pray. And then remember, pay close attention to the words of the song and then, and then to the testimony, and then we'll jump right into the lesson. All right? Y'all good with that? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your blessings, your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness. Thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, the devil's done everything he could to try to derail this topic and this, this subject and this lesson tonight. God, I pray that you'll just purge our mind right now. Just purge our mind. Cleanse and clear our mind from the worldly defilements, Lord. Everything that would hinder this Holy Spirit from having free reign in our thought process and in our hearts tonight. God, speak to us. Lord, speak to us through your word. Use the Holy Spirit to illuminate our minds to truth tonight. And God will thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. They say sometimes you win some. Sometimes you lose some. Right now, right now, I'm losing back. I've stood on this stage night after night, reminding the broken it'll be alright. But right now, oh, right now, I just can't. It's easy to sing when there's nothing to Say it only takes a little faith to move a mountain. Well, good thing, a little faith is all I have right now. God, when you choose to leave mountains unmovable, oh, give me the strength to be. I will cling to you. 
come what may, cause I know you're able, I know you can. A lot of our songs, for me, is writing the lyrics. They they come out of really hard times of life experience. You know, uh, Imagine was written a few years after my dad passed away with cancer. Bring the Rain was after my son was diagnosed with diabetes and he was two. He's now 15. Uh, Homesick was after my brother-in-law was killed in a car accident. Hurt in the Healer was when my cousin was a firefighter killed in the line of duty. And it's all this tragedy. And and my therapy is writing songs about it. And Even If was was just out of me simply having a bad day. My son, who's a diabetic, who's 15 now, we were going to a checkup. And, and um, whether the checkup was good or bad, it doesn't matter. It's just that it's that reminder that this is very real and it's chronic. It's not going away. And mm-hmm. So it could be the greatest checkup ever, but you still don't walk away going, yay, we did it. It's like, ah, we're going to deal with this the rest of our lives. And and that same day, we had a godly friend of ours was asking us about diabetes. I don't know much about it. And we went through all the statistics and the stuff we've said for years. And she stopped and she goes, you know what? We're just going to pray that God heals him. And and the, the good Christian in me kind of smiled like I normally do. I was like, yay, God is good all the time, that kind of stuff. But part of me, just because I was already having a rough day, wanted to grab her by the shoulders and say, really, you don't think I thought of praying for my son to be healed for the last 13 years, you know? And just because I was having a bad day, nothing against her. She's an amazing person, by the way. But it was tough. I was just, it just, and, and I, for whatever reason, I was going to, Tim Timmons is one of my dearest friends, and I was going to his house to hang out, and. I don't even know what we were meeting about, but we sat down, and I just unloaded him in tears like I'm having the worst day, man, and this lady doesn't even know, and she set it off. And 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 Tim, if no, for no, those that don't know, it lives with cancer. He has this weird, rare cancer in his blood that that they say, man, you could live a day or 20 years. We don't know what to tell you. We don't know what, why yeah. it's not, you know, and it's, I think it's a totally a God thing. But I forgot I was talking to, and I was telling Tim, you don't even know what it's like to have a chronic illness, man. It's so hard. And he was just kind of grinning at me, this goofy <laughs> grin, and we were in a studio, so he started playing piano like he was like yawning or something, like background, like lounge music. <laughs> I thought he was mocking me, and he was just hearing everything I was saying. And I was telling him, I was like, man, I just want to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who stands in front of the fiery furnace and says, I know God can deliver me. I know that he can save me from this, but even if he doesn't, I'm still not going to bow. I'm still not going to surrender. He's worth it. And, and um, anyway, we kept talking, and I think I even thought he was kind of mocking me, so I kind of cut it short, and then... Uh, not long after that, he sent me this text memo, and it's him singing almost a bunch of the words that I was saying during that time. Wow. And said, man, he goes, I wrote this chorus years ago. Part of the, the first half of the chorus he wrote with Crystal Lewis five, six years ago. And he goes, I tried, and I just couldn't figure it out, and so we just ditched it. And so he started, like, showing me that and singing this deal. And, and so I remember telling him, like, man, I just I know I win some and lose some, but right now I'm losing so bad that it's so hard to stand on stage and tell people, that God, God's going to get us through when I'm not even sure I believe that myself, which became in ultimately the first verse. And so I just, I heard it and I was freaking out. And so, you know, started, I couldn't write it quick enough. And, um, and just, it was one of those few times where like I'm writing the second verse and I'm texting the guys. I'm like, I'm in tears. Like I'm freaking out. Like this is, this is a, uh, it, and when I say it's a big song, it's not, this is a hit. This is a huge song for me. Like it's, yeah. it's one of those moments to where I'm, it's very therapeutic. Can anybody relate to that? You know, you know he can. 
You know there's nothing impossible. You know he could say the word. And at any moment, sometimes you wonder, you know, why, why, why does things happen the way they happen? And why does things not happen the way we want it to happen? Uh, so open your Bibles. Open your Bibles to John chapter 9. And uh, you can just stay seated. We're, we're going to respect God sitting down tonight. Uh, and by the way, you, you know, just, just honor him in your heart. Honor him in your heart. You can read your Bible sitting on the ground, standing up, laying down, whatever, just in your heart. Honor him. Amen. Uh, John chapter 9, John chapter 9, we have Jesus passing a, a blind man, a, a bad situation. Uh, Jesus is passing, and, and the disciples, in their way that they do things in, 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 a, in a wrong way, uh, they are basically asking the question why, but they're asking it in a wrong way. Instead of saying why, they're saying who. They're wanting to assign blame. They're wanting to assign fault in this situation. And isn't that, isn't that our human nature? That whatever, whatever happens, we want to know who's to blame for this. Who, who, did the, who did the wrong because of whatever? They're being uh, somewhat, somewhat trying to be spiritual. They're trying to understand things. And, and Jesus, like he always does, he, he has more mercy on the person. See, here's the thing. They, 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 they find this, this guy that's blind. He's probably a beggar. Most likely he's a beggar, probably he's had a, and he's been blind since his, since his birth, so he's had a rough way of going his whole life, and, and so here we have somebody who's really needing mercy, and needing compassion, and needing somebody to love on him, and they're having a theological discussion of who's at fault. How many of y'all know Jesus had the eye roll going again? Are y'all with me? Now Watch. Mark, or excuse me, John chapter 9 and verse, verse number 1. Are you there? And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin? Who did sin? What a question. Who did sin? This man or his parents that caused him, they're saying, that he was born blind. Who did it? Did, did he do it? Or did his parents do it? Jesus answered, what's that next word? Neither. Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed, and came, what? Seen. Came seen. I want to I just, just take these, the, the, these verses. I'm not going to go as much into the miracle, uh, which the miracle is awesome. I mean, it, it's really awesome. It's awesome what he does there, and he does it in a, in a weird way. Um, and I, I, I've read different explanations about it uh, and, and, and why, uh, you know, it, it, some, some say, well, the sand is there to cause irritation. That's, a, that's kind of the type of conviction, and he's sent to go wash it out, and the irritation will cause you to go have washing, which is a type of salvation and all that kind of stuff. And, 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 and who knows? It, it, that, that may be part of it. And then I've, I've read some that said, I don't know why. I mean, it just, it, it is, it's really insignificant. Uh, how he did it, how he did it is not the significant part of this deal and a part of this lesson. Uh, I, I, I went through, <clears throat> do y'all know that he, he healed several different blind people in several different ways? One, one blind person, he spit right in his eye. Spit right in his eye. Did y'all hear me? Spit in the man's eye. That's not weird to you. Spit in his eye. He gets down, spits on the ground, makes clay, and sticks that in his eye. One, he just says a word. You're healed. He does it so many different ways. And I think the point of that is, is so we don't get hung up in the method. Because it's not the method. It's the master. The power is in the one doing it, not in the method he used to get it done. How many of y'all know we have a tendency to worship methods? 
We worship Sunday school. We worship a certain type of worship, a certain method, and, and, and Jesus doesn't want us to get hung up on that job. None of that stuff. He does it so, if you was to ask this man, and, and, and they say, well, how does a blind man get healed? Oh, I tell you what, it, this is what got to happen. Jesus got to spit on the ground, make clay, put in your eyes. That's how it happens. Well, then the other one say, uh-uh, no, uh-uh, he's got to spit right dead in your eye. And then you ask the other one, he'll say, uh-uh, both of y'all are wrong. All he's got to do is say the word. And you know what? All three are right, but all three are different. Isn't that amazing? God doesn't want us to get hung up on that. So I don't want to, I don't want to, and maybe next week we'll talk more about the miracle part of that, but, but I want to talk more about the discussion that the disciples and Jesus had because I really think that that is where the message is tonight. This is what God wants us to know tonight. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I don't know who's here and I don't know who needs to hear this, but the devil's done everything in the world to try to stop this. So, so this is going to help somebody. I know this is going to it helped me. I was sitting in my office, just had tears dripping off my face, thinking about the truth that's in this, this, this few short verses in this chapter. Here we see Jesus. He, he's, he's walking, and, 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 and he's had death threats. They tried to stone him in the chapter before, and it's possibly right near the time that this takes place. And, and so here we pass this man who is broken, who is in need, and, and, and his disciples ask him a theological question. They're trying to uh, uh, decide who, who was in the wrong here, who, who messed up, who's, who's the guilty party to cause this sin. Well, three things I want to share with you tonight. Number one, let's look at the first one. First, I want you to see this, and we're going to dig a little bit. <clears throat> first, I want you to see, I want you to see this. Number one, I want you to see a basic trial, a basic trial. Now, we use the word, we use the word trial. How many of y'all know we, 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 the terminology, trials and tribulations? Y'all know what I'm talking about? So when I use the word trial, you know I'm talking about a difficulty, a tragedy, a hardship, a, a difficult situation. And you say, preacher, I don't see blindness as a basic trial. But guess what? It was. It was. It was very basic in that day. It's, 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 it's prevalent today. Blindness is real today. Now, here, here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to do. I, I want to set the table a little bit and set the momentum to, to, to make the last point really pop, okay? Can I do that? Can you allow me to do just a little bit of background and, and so that when we get to that last point, it would just be, wow, all right? So if we go through the, the whole Old Testament, there's basically 4,000 years, 4,000 years of biblical history from Adam all the way to Jesus, okay? That's a, lot of, that's a lot of time, would you admit? And do you realize, do you realize that there has been disease, deformity, uh, 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 just, just difficulty, stress, and tragedies all the way to the beginning of time, all the way to Jesus? Blind people everywhere, broken people everywhere, leprous people, diseased people, uh, 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 handicapped people, uh, 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 everything you can imagine, every kind of difficulty, every kind of trial, every kind of tribulation, suffering, suffering was very common. It was very common. Now watch. Do you realize, do you realize that in 4,000 years of history, of biblical history, do you realize there's only six miraculous healings or resurrections? In 4,000 years, there was only six. Three healings, three healings. One was Naaman the leper. If, if you look in your, in your notes, Naaman the leper was one in 2 Kings chapter 5. King Hezekiah was the second. He was sick. He was weeping, broke down. God had mercy on him and, 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 and healed him. That's 2 Kings chapter 20. And then the Israelites was a group of people who rebelled against Moses and against God. And God sent snakes after him. And then the snakes bit him. And, and, and so they cried out. Moses cried out to God. And God said, put the brazen serpent on the pole. And everybody that looks, they'll be healed. That's the three different miraculous healings. But then you have three resurrections. Three people that were brought back from the dead. Here in, in, uh, in uh, 1 Kings chapter 17 was the widow's son that was resurrected. Then the Shunammite woman's son, the great woman, in 2 Kings chapter 4. And then there was a man 
there was a man that was thrown in the tomb of Elisha and he landed on Elisha's bones and come back to life. It's in there. But do you realize in 4,000 years, only six miraculous healings, three of them were healings from sickness, three of them were resurrections from the dead. What am, what am I getting at? Sorrow and suffering was very common, but healings and miracles were so rare, they were basically non-existent in the Old Testament. The whole time, God, how many of y'all would agree that God was moving in the Old Testament? I mean, it was a hotbed of religious activity and religious momentum and movement. God was doing all kinds of things. But isn't it a, isn't it a, isn't it a, a, a crazy thing that, that there was really not that many miracles? Not that many healings? Six and 4,000 years? Here's what I want you to write down. A, here in this basic trial, I want you to write down a curse pronounced. A curse pronounced. A curse pronounced. Where are you getting that? Look in your notes. Genesis 3. Genesis 3.17. It says in verse 17, and this is, this is after the sin. This is after uh, man disobeyed God and rebelled against God and Eve took the fruit and gave it to Adam. Adam took the fruit. Uh, he said, Adam, what you doing? Oh, is that woman you gave me? Uh, Eve, what you doing? What is that snake that tempted me? So he starts with the snake and he curses him. Some, some commentators believe that the snake used to have legs and, and so now he's got to crawl on his belly. But, but either way, he's cursed and there's no doubt snakes are cursed. Everybody hates him, amen? If you like him, you're weird. <clears throat> Just saying. Just saying. All right? Uh, uh, so, so, the, so the snake is cursed, the physical snake, the, 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 the body of the snake, and Satan is cursed there because that was at that moment you had the first messianic promise when he said the seed of the woman, which is Jesus, will bust your head. Amen? So then we move to Eve, and, and Eve is, is cursed. The, 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 the woman is cursed with conception and, and, and the sorrow and childbirth. Uh, ladies, was he right about that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Amen. Pain, difficulty, suffering from that whole deal. And then if, as we move on, we see Adam. Adam, he was, and by the way, when, you, when you're reading this, understand Eve was deceived, but Adam disobeyed. Adam was responsible. Adam was the one. So, so here, here's what we have. Genesis 3, verse 17. And Adam said, because thou hast, or excuse me, and unto Adam he said. This is God speaking to Adam. Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. What's that next word? Cursed. Say it again. Cursed. Cursed. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. What's going to happen? Thorns also, thistles shall it bring forth to thee. And thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In thy, the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. So what, what happened? Now... A, an immortal being just became mortal. So how do you know he was immortal? The sting, the sting of death is sin. Where does death come from? Sin. For the wages of sin is, the sting of death is sin. Before Adam and Eve sinned, there was, there was no sting. There was no corruption. They were immortal. But Jesus said, the moment you take that fruit, you shall surely die. Guess what? The moment they took that fruit, they became corrupt. They became mortal. They were cursed. And now they began to die. Do you know it's a medical fact that the moment you're born, you begin to die? Everything is dying. Everything is decaying. Everything. You can buy a brand new car in just a few years. It's not the same. Listen, everything is dying, decaying. This whole earth is cursed. You and I were cursed. We are cursed because of the sin of Adam. Because of the sin of Adam, we have heart disease. Because of the sin of Adam, we have diabetes. 
Because of the sin of Adam, we have lame, we have deformity, we have birth defects, we have blindness. Blindness. And so here we find, here we find a man who has a common problem, a suffering problem, a basic trial, something that is part of life. Are y'all getting me? You say, preacher, what what about, how many of y'all know there are really, really bad, wretched, wicked, ungodly people who are healthy as a horse? And how many of y'all know there is some unbelievably holy, pure, righteous, godly men and women who are just sick and suffering and in difficulty? Listen, suffering is a part of life. Suffering is a part of the curse. It's a part of the world we're living in. The thorns, the thistles, the bugs, the fleas, the the ticks, the the stickers, the weeds that you got to pull out of your garden, all of that is life. It's living in a cursed world. I don't know what God's trying to do to me. No, 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 it's not. We, 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 we put way too much stuff on God. When the, and when reality is, it's just life. It's just life. We're living in a cursed world. Watch this. Write this down. When the curse was pronounced, B, I want you to see there was corruption experienced. Corruption was experienced. I'm going to turn over to, while you're writing that, I'm going to turn over to Romans Chapter 8, verse 20. I'm going to read this to you while you're writing. Watch this. Romans 8, 20 says this. For the creature was made subject. That's me and you. We were the creature, the creation. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subject the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth. The whole creation groaneth. The whole earth is groaning. Everything you see, the earthquakes and the, and, and the fires and the, and the hurricanes and all of these things is the earth groaning under the curse. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain. Travail, y'all know, ladies, y'all know that's, that's the, the birth pains. Those things that are coming regularly, regularly and more intense, more intense, closer together. The whole earth is travailing in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. What is it saying? We're dealing with corruption. We're dealing with sickness. We're dealing with diabetes. We're dealing with heart disease. We're dealing with this suffering. We're dealing with the curse till Jesus comes. We're dealing with difficulty. We're dealing with problems. We're dealing with tragedies. We're dealing with with a cursed world and a cursed society and a cursed body until we get our brand new body. Preacher, what are you saying? One day, this this body's going to go in the ground mortal, but it's going to get up immortal. It's going to go in the ground corrupt, but it's going to come up incorruptible. Somebody say amen. But right now, I've got to wear glasses. Right now, we got to take insulin. Right now, we got to take blood pressure medicine. Right now, suffering and sorrow and difficulty is a part of life from the curse. From the curse. Now, now you say, why are you doing this? You got to get that. that that's, you, you have to understand that. I am so aggravated that there are so many churches and, and, and groups that, that, that preach a, a bad theology. And that's what we're going to get to in the next point. A bad theology that, that, that says that, that if you're right with God, everything's going to go right. That if you have enough faith, you're going to have favor and you're going to have prosperity and you're going to have blessings and a brand new car and all this kind of junk. And so what happens is, what happens is we got it, we're trying to figure out where my faith is. Because I'm broke and walking sideways. And my back hurts. 
Because when I wake up in the morning, I know I'm alive because I feel it. Can anybody relate? And so these disciples, they've kind of been influenced by that, that type of mentality. So they're trying to figure it out. Who messed up? This man's blind. Somebody done something wrong. Surely God's mad at him. Surely God's mad at him. But you know what? They just had some bad theology. Theology is a teaching. It's a doctrine. It's what somebody tells you. I tell you what, I've, I've learned some bad theology growing up. Somebody told me something and taught me something that, that somebody taught them and, and they didn't know no better, so they sounded good to them, so they taught it to me and, and I found out in the Bible, uh-oh, that's not necessarily true. And so here are these disciples, they've been taught by rabbis and they got some bad theology. Now let's talk about that. Let's talk about that bad theology. First, I want you to see this, where... Where does bad theology come from? Where does bad theology come from? A misunderstanding of the scriptures. It comes from a misunderstanding of the scriptures. You can read a scripture and, and, and not understand what it truly means and have someone say, this is what this means, and it can be totally wrong, and then you develop a system of belief from that that is totally backward, totally wrong, and totally opposite of what God was trying to say. You say, what are you, what are you getting at? I want to show you their bad theology. I want, I want to take and show you where they misinterpreted the scriptures to make them think that either this dude or his mama messed up. Okay? Where did they get this bad theology? There was a misinterpretation of a, a, a chapter in the book of Exodus. Let's look at it. Let's look at it. If you look in your notes, <clears throat> if you look in your notes, look on the, it's on the second page, on the back page. It's on the back page. That way we ain't got to look it up so we can save time. Oh, mercy. We got to hurry, guys. I got a lot I want to show you. Exodus 20. Exodus 20. This is, this is, this is where, this is the source of where they missed it. And so they started teaching it wrong. Okay? Exodus 20, verse 4. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Here it is. Here it is. Y'all paying attention? Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. All right, so from that verse, rabbis begin to teach. Rabbis begin to teach that, that if, if, uh, if my father messed up, then, then I'm going to be punished my child's going to be punished. My grandchild and my great-grandchild's going to be punished for something my father did. That's not true. All right, let me explain this verse, and then I'll show you and prove to you that's not true. What he is saying here, he said the fathers. Anytime you see the term fathers in this particular thing, he's talking about the leaders of a generation, the heads the leaders of the generation. In other words, if we was to use this application, we're talking about, we're talking about in America, we're talking about Congress and, and, and we're talking about the president and, 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 and uh, the representatives and the Senate and all these people that are leading. And what he's saying here is you better be careful what you do. You better be careful of the things you do. You better be careful of the decisions you make because this thing won't turn around in a couple generations. Now, how many of y'all know we're paying for now some stuff that went on in the 60s? The sexual revolution, this freedom revolution, this began, this progressive movement, this liberal agenda that began, man, we're seeing the fruit of it now. And this is, this is an amazing, this is an amazing re revelation that you can't turn this stuff around overnight. You have a president that's been in, uh, as president for a certain period of time. Man, if he's there a certain period of time, the stuff that they put in action and the decisions they made and the things that come about, it takes a long time to get that stuff fixed. And that's what he's saying. This is an overall. This is a for people, not individuals. This is not consequences to an individual. He's talking about a people, a group. But what they were teaching is that, hey, if you mess up, guess what? Your kids are going to pay for it. 
That's why they were saying, did his mama mess up? Did his mama mess up? Because his mama messed up. That's why he's born blind. Because what is he doing? He is paying for her failure. You say, well, I've been told that. I've been told we need to break generational curses. Bad theology. Bad theology. Heard people having prayer meetings and anointing with oil to break the generational curses in their household. That's not even biblical. It's not even there. Let me show you. Watch. Ezekiel 18. Write it right in your verse, right there underneath. The word of the Lord, <clears throat> Ezekiel 18. The word of the Lord, verse 1, are you there? The word of the Lord came unto me again, saying, What mean ye? He's saying, What are you doing? What mean ye that ye use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge? What's he saying? The fathers have done something, and the consequences are on the children. In other words, the father ate the grape, but it's the, it's the, it's the, uh, uh, the children that have to grit the teeth for it. It's kind of like biting in a persimmon. Y'all know what I'm saying? In other words, the effect, the effect is on the children. The cause is the, is the parent. He said, why y'all keep doing this? Why y'all saying this? Why are you teaching this bad theology? Watch what he says. As I live, saith the Lord God, ye shall not have an occasion anymore to use this proverb Israel. Stop teaching that. Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. In other words, everybody's responsible for their own self. Watch what it says, Ezekiel 18, 20. The soul that sinneth, individual, individual, it shall die. In other words, it will bear the consequences of its behavior. The Son shall not bear the iniquity of the Father, neither shall the Father bear the iniquity of the Son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. In other words, my father will deal with the consequences of his behavior. I will deal with the consequences of my behavior. Does this make sense? But guess what? Because of bad theology, because of bad teaching, these disciples are standing in front of a poor guy that's blind, and they're trying to figure out if his, his mama did something and him having to pay for it. Now, can y'all see... Can y'all see bad theology here? Why? Because there was a misunderstanding of Scripture. Not only a misunderstanding of Scripture, but today we're seeing this a lot. We're seeing a manipulation of Scripture. I see, I see, I see fellas all the time that have an agenda and they want to say something, so they try to take a Scripture to twist it to say what they want to say to back up their agenda. I've seen them. Start out and read a verse, and then here they go. Wide open. I just want to mind the Lord. And they start with something that don't have anything to do with the verse they're in. Or they take it so far out of context. Y'all with me? How many of y'all have heard the phrase, or you've seen, you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. But you can if you keep it in context. Y'all with me? But bad theology is terrible. Bad theology is terrible. Because this is what it'll produce. It'll produce a weakness of faith. Because when you tell people, if you have enough faith, you can be healed. I had a group of charismatic people in Tennessee that was telling my, my, my uh, cousin who was eat up with cancer. Eat up with cancer. She was not going to make it. And they were constantly telling her, if you just have enough faith, if you just have, man, there ain't a person on this planet had as much faith as she did. And she's in heaven. But guess what that did to the faith of those that kept hearing that? Well, if I have faith, why, why ain't I getting better? Now, see, here, here's the thing. Bad theology is terrible. It's terrible. Bad people are well. And some good people are sick. That doesn't mean they don't have faith. Guess what it means? 
It means they're living in a cursed world. That's all it means. Now, there was basically two things that they were taught wrong. One is that they that the children would have to pay for the, the, the sins of the, 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 the parents. And then the second thing was this, that, that suffering is a direct cause of sin. In other words, if, if something's going bad in your life, you messed up somewhere. You're paying for it. How many of y'all remember, how many of y'all remember Job and his friends? Job and his friends? Any of y'all remember? Y'all remember? Read your Bible, people. What happened? Job, there was, a, there was a conversation between Satan and God behind the scenes. Job was an upright man. He feared God exceedingly. He not only gave sacrifices for his own sin and his own self, he went ahead and gave sacrifices for all his family too, just in case. Y'all with me? He was an upright man who feared God and eschewed evil, is the verse. And, 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 and Satan, and this was all about God. This was all about the glory of God, whether God was, deserved worship or not or whether God deserved this kind of attention. And he said, well, take what he has. And, and the devil said, you ain't nothing. You ain't nothing. The only reason he does worship you, the only reason he does serve you because you blessed him like you did. Man, if, if you've given him all that stuff, you've you got to bribe him to worship you. He said, take what he's got. And Satan took everything. His finances, his finances, his family, everything that meant anything to him, he took it. And you know what he said? The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Naked came I into this world, naked shall I return. Oh, that wasn't enough for the devil. The devil said, I tell you what, that's fine. But you know what? Skin for skin, man will curse you to your face. You mess with his body, you mess with his health, and I tell you what. He said, all right, have at it. You can touch him, but don't take his life. You cannot take his life. And he struck Job from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet with sore boils. And he was in pain. It didn't matter where he's standing, whether he's sitting or laying down or standing on his head. He was in severe, extreme pain. And think about this. The Bible says he sat in the ashes. He would take broken pottery and cut them sores to try to find relief. So, preacher, what do you mean them ashes? You know what he did? He didn't have any cattle to bring to God anymore. He didn't have a lamb. All of it was taken from him. He had nothing. So he went and sat in the place that he offered the sacrifices of God and said, I don't have nothing but myself. Here I am. Wow. So he's an awesome guy. But watch, his friends came to him. His friends came to him. And they said, all right, fess up. You might as well, you might as well fess up. You ain't never going to get better until you, you get right with God because God's punishing you. You know, they had that same bad theology. There has got to be something wrong. You have got to have done something wrong. There ain't no way that God would do this to somebody if everything was right. Now, let me ask you a question. Was everything right in Job's life? Yes. Did he technically do anything to deserve any of this stuff that happened to him? Not one single thing. But guess what bad theology did? Bad theology turned his own friends against him saying, Hey, you've, you've, you've done something. Listen, bad theology is terrible. Two things that's going on with these disciples. Two things. His parents, his parents must have messed up. That's why he's this way. No. Or did he mess up because, because surely, because he's blind, he done something to make God mad. And guess what? Both of those are wrong. What did Jesus say? What word did Jesus say? Neither. Neither. Say it with me. Neither. Neither. Watch this. Number three. I want you to see a beautiful truth. Beautiful truth. God knows we've got to hurry. We've got to hurry. Mercy. Neither. You're wrong on both points. You're wrong on both issues. You got some bad theology. Somebody told you wrong. I want you to see this beautiful truth. Watch what he says. 
Jesus answered, verse 3, you there? Are you there? Jesus answered, neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents. Watch here. But that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Now watch. I made a big deal. I made a big deal about those lack of healings and miracles in the Old Testament on purpose. They were so few to the point that you might as well say they, they, they were not there. There was hardly any. 4,000 years, only six. But when Jesus stepped on the scene, when Jesus stepped on the scene, when he turned 30 years old, he performed his first miracle. And don't let some jive turkey tell you he was, a, he was a, little, a little boy healing butterflies. That's, the Bible clearly says that at the, at, at, the, at the wedding, that was the first miracle he performed. But when he stepped on the scene and his ministry began, there was an explosion of miracles. Miracles upon miracles, miracles everywhere. Miracles to the point, the Bible says in the book of John, it's right there in your notes. I'm going to try to go in a hurry because I, I want to get somewhere. Uh, the Bible says in John, in the last chapter of John, that there were so many things that Jesus did that the books of this world could not contain all the things that he did. Everywhere he went, he performed miracles. Everywhere he went, he was healing people. He was healing blind people. He was healing lame people. He was healing deaf and dumb. He was casting out demons. He was raising dead people. Could not have a funeral around him. Say amen. Everywhere. Miracle, 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 miracle. 4,000 years, six. Jesus steps on the scene. Boom, miracles everywhere. Y'all following me? Now why? Why was it this way? How many of y'all agree that Elijah was a pretty powerful prophet? Elijah was a great prophet. Samuel was a great prophet. All of these great men in the Old Testament, yet six. But Jesus steps on the scene and there's miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after healing after healing after healing after healing. Watch this. Watch what happens. Look in your notes. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. <clears throat> Acts 2, 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs. Let me say that again. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs. Do you all see that? John 21, 25. And there are also many other things which Jesus did. The which, if they should be written, everyone, I suppose, that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. John 20, 30, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. What was the purpose of the miracles? The purpose of the miracles was not the comfort of the broken or the need of the, of the, of the person that was being healed. It was not so they could see. It was not necessarily so they could walk. It was not necessarily so they could hear. It was not necessarily for their benefit and their comfort and their blessing. It was so God could say, this is my son. It was confirmation. It was authentication. They needed proof that this was the Son of God because they needed to believe and understand and know that this was the Son of God because by believing that He was the Son of God, they would have life through His name. The explosion of miracles was to show them this is the Messiah. This is the promised one all through the Old Testament. It was prophesied that when he showed up, he would heal people. He would heal the blinded eyes. They should have known. Y'all follow me? Now, I, I, I promise you I'm going somewhere with this. We have, because of preaching and teaching of today, prosperity preaching and that type of thing and just feel good preaching we have this mentality that God is here for us 
that his miracles and all of this stuff is there so we could feel better, so we could be comfortable, so we wouldn't be poor, so we could be wealthy, so we could be prosperous. That, that Basically, it's the mentality that God's here to serve us. And you know what he's saying right here? He's saying this. Listen, this is not about him. This is not about the blind man. This is not about his parents. This is about Jesus. This is about God being revealed in my son through the power that he has. You're fixing to see something you ain't never seen before. Y'all with me? The miracle was about the glory of God. Two words. Put these two words down your notes and then look at me because we're, we're getting like real old time. And I need you to pay close attention, okay? Put the word purpose. A beautiful truth about purpose. What was this about? Why was this guy blind? Purpose and power. And then put your pen down and look at me. Look at me. I need your undivided attention real quick because I'm like running out of time. Listen. He wasn't blind because he sinned. He wasn't blind because his mama sinned or because his daddy sinned. He was blind for the glory of God. He was blind so that one day Jesus could come by and show, watch this, and boom! And they see this miracle. They see this man that is born blind. They see this man that they knew as a beggar that's been blind all his life. There's no possible way that this man can walk down the road seeing like he's seeing. Something has happened. God was glorified. It was for the glory of God. Now, how does that apply to us? How does that apply to us? Now look at me now. Look at me. You need to understand that your purpose in life is not about the American dream. Your purpose in life is not about to have all your dreams fulfilled. Your purpose in life, God is not sitting back just so waiting on you to ask for something so he can give it to you. God was not made for you. You were made for Him. In Revelation chapter 4, it says, All things were created by Him, that by Him they are and were created for thy pleasure. That's what it says. They sung a song, Thou art worthy. Because all things were created for thy pleasure. They are and were created. Now watch. Your purpose in life, your purpose in life is to bring glory to God. So my purpose is to be a plumber. No. That might be how you bring glory to God. Well, I'm supposed to be a missionary. That's my purpose. No, your ultimate purpose, your primary purpose, your number one job on this planet is to bring glory and honor and praise to God. Watch, watch, watch. Look what it says. John eleven four. 4. <clears throat> John eleven four. 4. This is, this is when, 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 when Lazarus is dead. Watch what it says. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death. In other words, this sickness was not for the purpose of death, but it was for the glory of God. Because Jesus was fixing to walk in there, and they was fixing to see Jesus perform a miracle and raise him from the dead. This is for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do. Read it with me. Do all to the glory of God. Ephesians 1, 9. Or let's skip to verse 11. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory. Preacher, what are you saying? 
Your purpose in life is to bring him glory. In this man's purpose, he was born blind for the purpose of magnifying God and God being able to use him to reveal the power of Jesus in him that would ultimately bring glory to God. He was born blind so one day he could bring glory to God through a miracle. Here's a million-dollar question. Here's a million-dollar question. Did God make him blind? Or is that because of the curse, but God used it for his purpose? That's a, that's a, that's a question we argue about. I say we. There's a group of people that believe in the divine sovereignty of God, that God controls everything. No matter what, God makes it to happen. That God says, I, I choose you to be blind. I choose you this. I choose you that. And then on the other hand, it says, okay, the curse brings stuff. We're in a broke world. We're in a cursed world. We're in a cursed body. And because we are in a, living in a cursed world and, and a cursed body, sometimes there's birth defects. Sometimes there's issues. Sometimes there's problems but God can take that and bring glory to himself. Now, I'm more of that persuasion. But here's the point I want to make to you. Which is right? It don't matter. It don't matter. It don't matter. It don't matter whether God said you're blind you're not, you're right. It doesn't matter whether it's that or it's part of the cursed world we're living in. I am born blind, but God says all things work together for good. Them love, Lord, them are called according to his purpose. I can take all things in your life. I can change it to your good. I can make it to bring goodness to you and glory to me. It's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. What does matter is that you glorify God with what you have. I want to show you some pictures. Can we do the pictures and then we'll do the testimony? This is Dave. Uh, David, is it Ring? Let me see, I, I, I've got all the lists here. Yeah, David Ring. He was born with cerebral palsy. He's an evangelist that travels all over America. And guess what? He brings more glory to God with cerebral palsy than I've seen some evangelist that's perfectly healthy. You know why? Because he chooses to use what God has allowed in his life to bring glory to him. Look at this one. This guy's name Nick. And his last name is so difficult, you can say whatever you want. <clears throat> He's born that way. Now, what would we say? God made a mistake. He's married, got youngins, preaches everywhere, swims, underwater, no floaties. He preaches like crazy and brings glory to God and preaches to thousands and seeing people saved. Look at this guy. name slipped my mind clay dyer clay dyer he's a professional bass fisherman and yes he can cast it and reel it in but guess what he's got a testimony that you're going to hear look at this next one now the first three were born that way the first three were born in a trial a suffering this guy is dave reaver he was in vietnam on a pt boat they were firing on a, on a bunker, and he had a phosphorus grenade in his hand, and a sniper shot the phosphorus grenade and exploded beside his head. Blew this part of his skull off. They said it blew a cavity in his chest to the point you could see his heart beating. They said that, that he had so much phosphorus on him that, that he, he burnt through. If you know what the phosphorus is, that's just highly, 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 highly heated, and it burnt through the cot that was carrying him. 
open him up open him up on a surgeon's table and he had phosphorus on the inside and it, it, when the oxygen hit it, it caught fire on the surgeon's table. Burnt beyond recognition. His wife comes in. His wife comes in, has to look at his chart to see that it's him because you could not recognize his face. Kissed him and said, I love you and I'll be there forever. He with tears in his eyes. Said, honey, I'm sorry I'm not good looking anymore. She said, don't worry, honey, you never was. <laughs> That's his testimony. He said he saw, he saw the wife of the man who was in the bed beside him in the, in the veterans hospital while they were recovering. And the wife came in and took the, the wedding ring off and laid it on his chest because she just could not bear. And the guy died. He decided, I'm not going to go through that. Before his wife came, he said, I'm going to pull the medicine, and I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm going to just kill myself because I'm not going to let that happen. He pulled the wrong. He pulled his, his food instead of the medicine. He said, all I did was get hungry. <laughs> Unbelievable testimony. Preaches and sees thousands. He goes to war-torn countries where war has ravaged people, where y'all seen him, where they just go in with machetes and cut arms off and cut limbs off. I could go and witness, and I wouldn't make much impact, but he stepped off the plane. He can relate to him. But you know, all these people, they see God through their pain and their suffering. I, I, I'm going to hold that. Clay Dyer's got an awesome testimony, but I want to tell you one thing, because I've I got to give you this. I know we're over time, but i got to give you this. The pearl. The pearl is, is the only natural gem on the planet. It is produced in a living organism. A grain of sand or, or bacteria or anything of that nature will get into an oyster shell. And it will embed itself into the side of that oyster. And that oyster has a gland that produces nacre. Nacre is what produces the shell. The oyster produces and he makes his own shell. Well, what he will do, he will, he will continue to coat and produce that nacre and coat that, that, that pebble or, or that grain of sand because it's causing excruciating pain. Excruciating pain. And it will, in, in, or, in trying to get relief from the pain and the suffering, it will coat it with that nacre and coat it. Every time it hurts, it will coat it and coat it and coat it and coat it and just keep coating it and coating it, trying to get relief. And as the layer upon layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of that nacre is produced on that grain of sand, a pearl is formed. The more pain, the more layers. The more layers, the larger the pearl. Now here's the thing. How many of y'all have seen an oyster shell? An oyster shell on the inside, if you see it, it's kind of translucent. What happens is those layers are produced in such a way that they reflect light. And what gives it its value is the amount of layers that's on it gives it the ability to reflect that much more light. And the reflection of the light is what gives us its value. But the reflection of the light comes from the amount of layers that's upon the pearl. The, the amount of layers that's upon the pearl is the amount of pain that the oyster experiences. So the more pain, the more layers. The more layers, the more reflection and refraction of light. The more light that is reflected, the more valuable it is. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying this. Every human being has a responsibility to reflect the light of God. And sometimes the pain that we go through, the suffering that we go through, the difficulty that we go through gives us the ability to reflect God and God see. Listen, these people that I just showed on the screen, people can see God in them in incredible ways like, like probably not many in this room. And it's not because of their character. It's not because of their personality. It's because of their suffering. There's a young man right back over there. Right back over there. 
His name's Andrew Winfrey. I can take him with me somewhere, and people will want to see him instead of me. And it's not because he's handsome, because I'm better looking than he is. You know why they want to see him? Because they can see God through his suffering, through his pain, through his difficulty, through his trial. Through his trial, he has brought glory to God in such an unbelievable way. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying the suffering that you've experienced, the difficulty you've experienced, the pain that you've experienced, it's not for nothing. It's not because you're necessarily a bad person. It's because God wants you to glorify Him and bring glory to Him. And I'm telling you, if you'll learn to bring glory to Him in the midst of your suffering, it will bring relief to your pain. We're out of time. Andrew, I love you, buddy. You keep giving God glory. And God's going to keep using you. And he's got big plans for you. Big plans. Let's give God glory and praise. The next time you experience suffering, pain, Difficulty. Let's not ask the word why. Let's use the word what. Or how. How, God, how can I show you to others through my suffering? And all God's people say it. Father, thank you for your word.